Hi, this is Bill Hoppy, Buffalo Sabres beat reporter, and I'm joined by Nick Sabato, Buffalo Bills beat reporter and Niagara Gazette sports editor, and welcome to episode six of Buffalo Press Box. Nick, we have a whole lot to talk about, a, a really surprising Bills loss, in my opinion. I know they always lose to the Jaguars, but it still surprised me. We have some Sabres roster news, a contract extension. For Rasmus Dahlin, they're carrying three goalies again. But first, let's plug our uh, our email address. If you have some questions for us, something you want us to talk about, if you're wondering about something, buffalopressbox at gmail.com. Buffalopressbox at gmail.com. Nick, thank you for doing that. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's Good get... questions only. Yes, yes. We only accept good questions. And complaints about Bill. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so the Bills lose 25-20 in London. And, I mean, even, I mean, to me, I mean, the loss was bad enough, but they lose Matt Milano, all-pro all linebacker, to a leg injury. Daquan Jones goes down as well. Uh, they both need surgery. Um, we don't know if they're out for the year yet. I mean, but those could be just... Two huge losses. The Bills are already they're down now five defensive starters. I mean National outlets are, are are projecting both to be out for the season, just to clarify, but Sean Sean McDermott said mm-hmm. that uh they don't know yet. Um I would I would assume that by the time this is released we'll probably know. So I mean where do I mean the Bills defense has already been ravaged and they've shown in the past they they've been able to get through things last year you know without Micah Hyde and Tredavious White for a while but like I mean where do they go from here I mean Matt Milano I mean he was playing and you wrote about it today I mean just they're a totally different defense with him I mean it's not it's not like oh they're better with him it's like they're a totally different defense and he's I mean he might be playing as well as just about any player in the league right now yeah uh he's missed nine games since 2019 and it's about a a ten point difference, legitimately a ten point difference, um, in the games that he plays and the games that he doesn't. They they're averaging seventeen point three points a game, something like that, mm-hmm. with him in the lineup, and uh, almost twenty seven with him out of the lineup. It's it's a noticeable it's a noticeable gap. Um, you know, with that being said, I, I think we we talked about it um, a couple of weeks ago. That that he's he's probably the second most important player on the team. Um, I do think they dodged a bullet. Um, Taron Johnson looked like he was going to get carted off mm-hmm. for a minute there. He might be a little bit more important than Matt Milano, just from the standpoint of he plays that slot corner and he gets hurt. Who's going to play there? He allows them to play that that nickel defense. You know, ninety nine percent of the time. Um, but Matt Milano, from a physical standpoint, is, is probably their second most important player. That's going to be a big loss, but I still I still believe that um, unless there is a run like they had last year, and it's looking like last year right now, um, unless they have a run of injuries like they did, the only guy who really matters um, – you know, in terms of, of injuries is Allen, Josh mm-hmm. Allen. Like if he gets hurt, the season's over. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't, I don't think there's anybody else on the roster. We can say, yeah, if they lose that guy where, you know, the bills are cooked. Um, but Matt Milano is as, as close as you could get, I think. Um, 
but you have to wonder it's so they're down five you'd think uh they're, they're gonna get christian benford back um soon um i would imagine they'll get greg rousseau back soon uh you'd hope they get greg rousseau back soon the last two years he's just um you know he's had some strong starts and he just gets hurt uh i think and all leg injuries so um You'd hope that that's that's uh, that he's going to come back soon because he's really starting to show that he's a really really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, five starters and it's looking like three of them are out for the season. You know, at least at least you know long term, Tre'Davious White's out for the season with a torn Achilles. But uh, Milano and, and and Daquan Jones best case best case scenario, they're out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to wonder, is it a coincidence? You know. That you know, that it's all these defensive players. They had 13 of them miss a game last year. 13 key players miss mm-hmm. a game last year. You have to wonder: is it a coincidence, or do they need to change something up with their strength and conditioning program? You know, what is it? I mean, you know, they were healthy for so so many years. The first few years, McDermott was here. They were praised for being one of the healthiest teams in the league, mm-hmm. and now they're just getting ravaged, and it's all on the defensive side of the ball. So you have to wonder. If there's if there's anything that that can be tied to it or not, um, but um, it's tough. It's tough. They, you'd have to imagine they're gonna, you know, they're they're gonna say we're gonna play par for the course, but that's not the way the game was called. That's not how McDermott called the game defensively on Sunday. I mean, it, he blitzed more often than not, and they got they got toasted on it, mm-hmm. um, and they just got worn down by the end of the game. Um, Jaguars ran for 145 yards in the second half, uh, 111 from Travis Etienne, and they were nine for 11, nine for 12 on third downs in the second half. I mean, that's just you're not going to win many football games when you do that. Um, but it, it's not, it doesn't look tremendous on paper right now. Uh, but um, I think um, with a couple of weeks here to to kind of scheme them sing, some things up, I think they can put at least a patch on it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, Dorian Williams, um, when you see him in practice, he looks like, he looks like somebody, he looks like a player. He stands out just in terms of his, his movement, his physicality and things like that. Um, you have to wonder if, you know, he get in, he gets in the game first quarter. He's not expecting to be in there, especially for Matt Milano. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to wonder if maybe some nerves played in there, maybe, you know, just whatever it was, but he missed some tackles and that, that, that got him pulled from the game. They put Tyrell Dodson in. We know what Tyrell Dodson is at this point, And he's a guy, um, he is what he is. He's, he's got some physical limitations. Um, and I think we saw that they started blitzing him a lot because that's, you know, he's not really going to cover anybody. Um, but you'd have to imagine with with a few weeks they could find some things to patch some holes. Now, as far as Daquan Jones goes, uh, you know he was Daquan's quietly having, I think, a terrific year, an unsung hero of the defense. Maybe it just how, how do they replace him? I mean, um, we know they. I mean, not to cut you off, we know that you know they rotate guys in and out, and they have some depth on the D line. But I mean, how do they replace a guy like him? Well, I mean, that's they're gonna have to replace it with a bunch of guys. I mean, they. They brought in Puna Ford, but he's more of an Ed Oliver type. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been inactive the first five five weeks of the season. Um, 
you know, they, they still have, you know, Jordan Phillips is, is, is more of a, a of a, at Oliver penetrator kind of guy as well. Um, you know, but they still have Tim settle as well. And he played a lot the other day. Um, you know, they they've got, they've got four more guys. And, and I think that's, you know, they brought in a guy like Puna Ford and they brought back Jordan Phillips for, for this purpose in case somebody got hurt. But Daquan Jones is a rock, um, both in the locker room and on the field. Um, just a, you know, you go in the locker room and he's usually always there. Mm-hmm. He's just a steady, steady guy. And, um, the, you know, him, he, he eats up blocks. So a guy like Ed Oliver can, can penetrate and do his thing. Um, we'll see if Oliver's, you know, play takes a hit because of it. I, I don't think it will because he's been playing so well. Um, but, but yeah, he's just, that's a, that's a big one too, just because of his presence. And you have to wonder for a guy like that, he's, he's in his last year, uh, of his contract with the bills. He's going to be 32, um, by the end of December, you have to wonder if this is a season ending deal is his career with the bills over, mm-hmm. um, is his NFL career over? I mean, defense in, in, interior defensive linemen usually are able to play longer. Um, but he's a big guy and it's a, it's a tough injury. You just have to wonder what his future holds. Interesting. So the offense, I mean, they put up that, you know, amazing performance against the Dolphins. They were firing on all cylinders. And then they come out against the Jaguars and they they couldn't get going. And then they got going a little bit, but why did it take them so long to get rolling? Um, I, I think they were playing it safe. They were, you know, they were getting the same kind of looks they've been getting all year and trying to take what they were given. But the difference this time is they couldn't run the ball. Um, 29 yards on 14 attempts is atrocious. Mm-hmm. James Cook was, you know, one of the top top rushers in the NFL. He gets held to negative yards. Um, but there were, there were opportunities downfield, and they didn't take them until it was too late. Um, and then they shot themselves in the foot a lot. I mean, they were averaging. You know, we talked after the Jets game about their, their play, or maybe it was at the Raiders game, one of the two. They were, they were terrible on first downs against the Jets. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think they weren't much better against the Raiders. Um, but against the Jaguars, they averaged you know more than nine yards of play on first down. But then on second down over the first eight drives, you know until the final two drives that were touchdown drives, those first eight drives, 1.9 yards per play on second down. Hmm. Like I, I don't know how that's possible to average nine yards of play on, on first down and one yard on second down. And then I think they were like three and a half on third. So... Um, you know, they, they, they have this tendency and I thought maybe there was a chance that this would be a letdown game. Um, just based on the bills past, like we talked about last week, um, players even talked about, you know, letdowns during the course of games. And I think we saw that at times in that game, but most part, they, they just weren't, they weren't aggressive enough. And you've got a guy like Josh Allen and yeah, he in that Jets game and in you know the last couple of years, he has a propensity to take too many gambles and make some boneheaded plays. But if he's that guy, if he's that Madden cover guy, you got to turn him loose more often. Mm-hmm. You look at you know the Chiefs are getting the same looks the Bills are getting. Um, you know the the Chargers are getting the same looks that the that the Bills are getting. Um, you know, pick your dynamic quarterback in the NFL. 
they're getting those looks, but they're still finding ways to stretch the field and push the ball. And the Bills have to do that um, because that's that's why they've got to. They don't. They didn't pay Josh Allen two hundred fifty million dollars to to throw three yard passes. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same vein, they didn't. They didn't. Pay, they didn't draft Dalton Kincaid uh, in the first round, and they didn't pay Dawson Knox on an extension to catch the ball. You know, one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. I mean, both are averaging less than seven yards a catch. Mm. Like, at some point, they're going to have to figure out ways to stretch the field more than until they there's a breaking coverage or they get the exact look that they want. They're going to have to scheme some things up and and find ways to to push the ball downfield. So, what about these in-game adjustments? I mean, you mentioned the the blitzing. I mean, the offense just. Uh didn't seem to adjust. I mean, can you kind of take us through what you saw on, on both sides of the ball as far as adjustments went? Well, I mean, I think I think you, you saw it all of a sudden, you know, the Bills kind of got into an urgency mode. And that's usually when Allen's at his best, when he can run and gun and play loose and fast. Um, that's when he's at his absolute best because then he's running around a little bit. And the defense like, well, is he running or is he going to, is he going to, can we, can we come up and get him or if, if we do, he's going to, you know, throw a rocket 25 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's when they're at best. Obviously you can't play that way. The whole game It's just not sustainable. Right. Um, and you're not going to get the defense that you're going to get in that those situations all came either. Um, but they figured out that they could take some shots downfield and, I, I don't know why they didn't before because um, there was a play where, where Allen hit that 48-yard pass to Diggs, and I, d- I don't think Allen got enough on that because Diggs was behind the defense and he had to come back for the ball. But then on the interception as well, Diggs was open, and um, Josh underthrew him. I, 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 you know, He explained after the game that, that the ball actually got knocked out of his hands and he had to kind of recoil and, and just couldn't step into it. Um but those are two plays where he's, you know, Diggs is behind the defense. Well, I mean, okay, you got you got those two plays there. There had to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just don't think that they they had the urgency there. They were content. Okay, we'll get them the next drive. Okay, we'll get them the next drive. And then all of a sudden, it's the fourth quarter, and they got seven points. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't do that. Um, it's just not the way the NFL works, and they're they're. To be frank, they're they're luckily the defense held up the way that they did. I mean, maybe if the defense is giving up more points, then maybe there's more urgency in the offense. But then it's a completely different game. But um, they're lucky that the defense played as well as they did for the first three quarters or so. Um, and then defensively, you know, we 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 praised Sean McDermott a couple weeks ago against the Commanders um, for bringing bringing more pressure than he usually does. But Trevor Lawrence is a different quarterback than Sam Howell. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas Howell wilted under the blitz, Trevor Lawrence thrived. I mean, he's former number one overall pick. Uh, I, I don't know if he's that uh, if he's the the greatest living up to the billing as the greatest quarterback prospect ever ever graded. Um, yeah. But but he's very good, mm-hmm. and he just cooked the Bills. Um, six for eight, eighty four yards against the blitz. Um, and, and you know, I I think McDermott was um, nervous about what was happening on the back end. Obviously, they're missing both their starting cornerbacks. Um, Kyir Elam's active and starting in his first game of the season, and he looked lost. Whether it was 
whether it was nerves or what, he seemed to be having some physical, like he was just getting burnt. And he's a, a his talents lie in his physical ability. And it just, I don't, I don't know if it just, it just seemed like there was a confidence issue with him and in turn a confidence issue for, for McDermott. And so I think he was trying to get the ball out quicker to, to minimize the time that they had to cover, but they just weren't getting there. And, as a result, you, you, that puts those cornerbacks on an island even more, mm-hmm. um, and it just it just wasn't working, and he didn't get away from it. And the nail in the coffin was that 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 third down play late in the game. There, um, you know, they're in a they're in a, a zero blitz where there's no safety, no safety help, no safety in the middle of the field. Micah Hyde ends up on Calvin Ridley, one of the you know top. 10, 15 receivers in the NFL. I mean, that's you put a safety on Calvin Ridley, it's not going to work out well, and it didn't. They 30-yard gain, and they end up scoring a touchdown and sealed the game. Um, you know, you, I, I just I don't think that was – it's easy for me to say, right? I mean, I just didn't think that was the <laughs> best the best choice of, of – I'm not going to criticize play calling very often because it's really easy to, to second-guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but – sheesh and when when the blitz isn't working and you're worried about your cornerbacks as it is i don't know that doesn't seem it didn't seem advantageous for the bills in that scenario and that's very very unmcdermott like and you know people criticize him for being conservative and at times i'm one of those people um but at at a certain point you have to realize maybe the the aggressive, just like you have to work, you know, realize the conservative stuff's not working. The aggressive stuff sometimes doesn't work either, and you have to pull back. Okay, Nick. Interesting thoughts. You were spitting some fire there. <laughs> you asked my observations, Bill. All right, and you gave them to me. I did. So, you know, one thing that people have been talking about is just uh, the Bills playing in London. They, they faced a Jaguars team. They played there the week before, and that uh, to me that's an, it seems like an advantage. I mean, the Bills left, I guess, Thursday, and uh, they played whatever three days later. I don't, uh, having never been to London, you know, overseas, I haven't. I don't know what it's like for your body adjust, to adjust, but uh, it, it it seems to me like the Jaguars would have a distinct advantage there. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but what are your thoughts on just you know the Bills basically flying in for the game, so to speak, and the Jaguars there waiting for them. Well, a couple of weeks ago, you and I were talking, and I told you, you know, oh, I'm, I'm I'm not going to the London game, um, but so so you know, I might I think I'm gonna have you know, uh, I won't have to go to the stadium next week, and then the next day, that's right, you get, you get the media schedule, and oh, they're not leaving until Thursday. Um, I was surprised by that. I figured that they would have left Monday after their walkthrough, um, you know, get there. Because, you know, a, a lot of people say you get there, you stay up right. and let your body adjust. Well, they could have gotten there, you know, if they leave, if they leave Monday, they get there Tuesday, well, you know, the same time they, you know, they land would have been midnight Tuesday, you know, then you can do all that stuff Tuesday on a, a day you normally have off. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they chose to have their normal, you know, first, first four days, you know, of the week, you know. Monday they have their walk through and do their film stuff. Tuesday they're off. Um, Wednesday, Thursday they have their their meetings and practices, and then Thursday they fly out. And I, 
I was just very surprised by that. Um, you know, especially playing against a team um, that had been there for two weeks. Now, the Jaguars did it the week before and won. Um, and teams have also done that before and won. Um, but nobody had ever done it, you know, facing a team that had already been there for a week. Right. Um, and, I, I mean, McDermott said it was, you know, everything went through the sports science department, and I'm sure they paid that person a lot of money to to <laughs> find that research, and that person spent a lot of time on it. I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't like, you yeah, know, we'll just leave – you know, we'll leave this day. I don't, I don't, that's not how it went. Um, you know, but man, they, they, they looked, there were a lot of questions about it and they looked sluggish. Um, they just looked like they weren't, you know, it just looked like they were ready to be in bed. And I mean, to be fair, it was, I think everybody was at nine 30 in the morning mm-hmm, for and sure. There's, and there's a football game. Um, but it's fair to say. I mean, even the Jaguars. I think Travis Etienne after the game said the difference was that the that the <coughs> the Jaguars had an adjusted, um, you know, they had they had been able to adjust their body clocks, you know, at that point, and the Bills didn't. Um, the Bills all downplayed it, but it didn't look like it did it. No. And now you know we head into next week. The Giants Sunday night. I mean, they. I mean, they're playing again. They don't have a bye. I mean, so that's. I mean, usually they. And they had a. They they could have had a bye. Right. Um. And they 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 opted to have one later in the year, and I get that. Um, you know, because they they had the early bye last year, and they had all that stuff happen, mm-hmm. and they just kind of had to play through it. Now, um, they get their bye after the Eagles game, which is Thanksgiving weekend, and you know it's kind of right in the middle of their big stretch there, so. I think I think a team who's playing to make the playoffs or, or make a deep run in the playoffs would rather have a late bye, uh, just to kind of regroup and things like that. Um, but yeah, I guess it would have it would be nice to have a have a bye for them this week because now they're going to have to readjust, right? Um, I think you know, luckily, I think they could take a couple of days and do that. They got back. I guess it would have been midnight um, Monday morning, um, so they'll have some time. They'll have more time to adjust than they did coming back from London than they did going to London. So, is this a? I mean, the Giants are not good. No, nope. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they appears to me they really, really overachieved last year, and they've just completely fallen apart this year. Is this a, a, a get well game, for lack of a better term, for you? Oh, I think the next two games are um, with the Giants and the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots have been just getting thumped. Early '90s Patriots, uh, yes. I feel like to me. Um, you know that's that. You know they they've on paper they've got some time to regroup, right? Um, you know even you know I, I, on paper the Bills should have beaten the Jaguars, and I think a healthy Bills team that that does that plays in the United States probably beats the Jaguars. <laughs> um, well, that brings up an interesting point. What what for years the Bills have been bad bad matchup with the jaguars for whatever reason like why why um well i think there was the letdown game a couple years ago where it's just oh you know it's a team that ended up with the first pick in the draft and they beat the bills nine to six right um but, but I, I, they, they make the play i mean they beat the bills in the playoffs in 2017 i mean they were in the playoffs uh 
last year they I guess they won a huge game over the Chargers. So I mean, they get good from time to time. I mean, it wasn't I mean, maybe it was ten years ago now that they were in the AFC Championship game. But I mean, I think it was that year, twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Were they? I, yeah, I Blake Bortles. I don't remember. But um, you don't I mean, remember they Blake Bortles' career? Is pretty. I, I do career. remember him. I think he had thirty touchdown passes one year, didn't he? Yeah, he's but, a pretty storied career. But um, <laughs> the Bills have never seemed to match up with well with them. I think that's probably just a fluke. Is it? I don't know. I mean, it's the first time they they faced Doug Peterson's Jaguars. So, sixteen-year-old me was at the playoff game when they lost to the Jaguars. Well, that was Tom Coughlin, and I was I was dejected. Well, most of the, lucky for you, most of the guys on the current Jaguars weren't alive then. So, oh, that's a good point. Jim Kelly's last game that was. It was. But I've, I don't think I've ever been more stunned at a football game. I was like... That was a pretty shocking game, but probably not as shocking as when they beat the Broncos the next week. Oh, yeah, that's right. They went uh, all the way to the AFC Championship. The Broncos, they were, they were favorites to win the Super Bowl that year, I think, or at least one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. They were loaded. Um, yeah, I think they went like 13. The Broncos went like 13-3 and three that year. and They might have been the number one seed, and they beat them. You're right. Yeah, the last year they wore the, the orange crush jerseys. That's right. Which they should change back to, by the way. Those are their best jerseys for sure. Um, but you know the the Giants um, and the Patriots. You know th- those are games. Like okay, you can you can get by with some without some of these injuries, and maybe you can get some of those guys back. Because um, they're both dreadful right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Giants, the Giants have have allowed twenty nine sacks, seventeen in the last two weeks. Um, Daniel Jones left left the game against the Dolphins with a with a neck injury. I think Brian Dable is pretty optimistic that he's going to play, and if he doesn't, then the Bills get Tyrod Taylor, um, old friend Tyrod Taylor. Yes, and I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure there are, there are still Tyrod fans out there. He had some pretty loyal followers. Um, he was a I mean he was a decent quarterback. He was a game manager. I mean, considering what they had uh, post Jim Kelly, he was he didn't he didn't turn the <laughs> his best attribute was that he didn't turn the ball over, but he didn't score a lot of touchdowns either. Um, so I, I think either either one of those scenarios is is something is a matchup the Bills should should like. Well, wasn't Tyra Taylor a Pro Bowler after like every guy opted out one year? Well, yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> so was Tyler Huntley last year for the Ravens. Yeah, see? And Roger Saffold. Was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, I mean, the, the Giants, Saquon Barkley has been out the last three games. Who knows if he's going to play? Andrew Thomas, their left tackle. He's been out the last four games. Who knows if he'll play? The Giants' offensive line is just putrid. And even if they're all healthy... The Patriot, the Giants don't have a whole lot of weapons, and neither do the Patriots for that matter. But I mean, people made a big deal about the Bills um, letting Isaiah Hodgins, you know, you know, he he went on waivers and got claimed. Um, he wasn't getting on the field in Buffalo, and he goes to the Giants where they're pretty they're pretty devoid of of talent. I mean, they they signed Cole Beasley to their practice squad. And we saw how much Cole Beasley had left in the tank at the end of last year, and there's not much. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just got guys. Devin Waller, or, um, Darren Waller is very, very good tight end, but and obviously Sinkwad and Barkley's all world, but that's about it. Um, 
Daniel Jones has yet to really show that he can carry a team um, the way that a guy like Josh Allen can. Um, so, I mean, Leonard Floyd was hobbled, um, you know, in that game. Kingsley Jonathan was in and out. If they can get back either Rousseau or Lawson for, for this game, um, and to be honest with you, even without them, as long as those other guys are healthy, they should be able to get after the Giants, whoever plays quarterback. Um, and that should that should help some of their, their cornerback issues for the time being. Um, and it should, on paper, they should they should get back on track this week. Can I get a prediction? I think I think they should win by at least two scores. No, still not giving the score. You're getting closer though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the Bills win forty-one to ten. Uh, that's that's a pretty bold prediction. That's right. The Giants, um, if they were if they were health if the Bills were healthy. You'd have to wonder if they could match Seattle's ten sacks. The Bills lead the league in sacks with mm-hmm. twenty-one. Um, Bills also lead the league in takeaways with thirteen, whereas the Giants are last in the league with two. <laughs> um, so I think. Uh, so I don't know. Is this the game where Allen goes out and throws three picks? Who knows? But Brian Brian Dable knows knows Allen as well as any coach, you know, would. But he. He, I don't. I don't think he's going to put himself out there. I don't think he's in 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 game shape anymore. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't have the guys on his team that can really, really do anything about it. So, um, I think this would this would be worse than the than the nine six loss to the to the Jaguars. I think because at least the Jet that team had you know they had Trevor Lawrence. They had he was a rookie. They had Trevor Lawrence. They had Josh Allen. The the edge rusher they had some guys this giants team we it, it makes you wonder how they made the playoffs last year mm-hmm. i mean they're they're rough um and the patriots aren't much better uh there that that should be another that should be another uh, a blowout game and you don't say that often about the patriots but they are i mean I picked them to win last week. I didn't think that they get thumped two two year two weeks in a row, especially going you know in Foxborough mm-hmm. against a Saints team that's unpredictable. But man, thirty four to nothing. That's a things are rough for Bill Belichick. He's he's learning what the other the other side of the pillows like. That's right. It's like Cleveland Bill Belichick, the early days of him in Cleveland. Jeez. Yeah, or the the last few days in Cleveland. <laughs> so um. And with that being said, we'll we'll switch from some football here to to hockey, and the NHL season is upon us. Finally, um, we can stop with the 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 long run of preseason games, the endless run. Too long. I mean, Seven games. That's a long time. It is. It felt like fourteen. It did. <laughs> but before before the 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 season starts, the Sabers finalized the the contract that everyone has been waiting for they backed up the truck to rasmus dalin's front door and unloaded it (laughs) eight years 88 million dollar extension is he worth the money bill yeah yes i think he's he's totally worth it i mean he's is he worth it or do we have a sports problem in america well i mean that's a whole other debate isn't it huh we've got time (laughs) oh in uh 
in hockey terms, he's worth it. I mean, he's one of the game's elite defensemen, and he's only going to get better. He's he's not even close to his prime, in my opinion. Um, just how well how, how much he's improved the last two years has been amazing to see where he's gone from uh, in early 2021 to today. And it's a deal, really. We we expected a lot of us expected it would be actually be completed like months ago, like in July, when they could first officially announce it. But it, it took some time, and it, it seems simple. Uh, on you know, you look at a, a guy like him and comparable guys, you think, yeah, eight eight years, eighty eight million. But it's a complicated deal. But it's it's a deserving deal. And and one thing that struck me about this is just like how badly he wanted to be here. I mean, he. We talked to him today, and I asked him, you know, you know, why is this, you know, your place? What, why do you like this place so much? And he just, he talked about how he grew up here. He came to United States, Buffalo, as an eighteen-year-old. He didn't know the language very well. He didn't know the culture, and he he talked about becoming a man here. And this is this has become his second home, and he likes his teammates, and it's just, it's just become the perfect fit for him. So that he wanted to stay here as long as possible. And for for the Sabers, I mean, yes, it's, it, it it's going to chew up a lot of their cap, and that cap, cap space is going quickly for the for the future. But if he plays up to his potential, it'll be he'll he'll be worth it. And I, I think I think he will reach his potential. And I think sooner than later, he's going to be a Norris Trophy finalist. I'm waiting for a professional athlete to just come out and say, "Yeah, I I, I signed this contract because they paid <laughs> me a bunch of money." Well, I mean. <laughs> I mean, having been around Rasmus Dahlin his entire career, uh, I, you can you can just tell the the kind of person he is and and how much he he does enjoy being here and being with the team and, and around the guys and it's become a, a great fit for him because so much of the team is around his age. Uh, I th- I think they just they just mesh on a different level than other Sabres teams we've seen and uh, that's reflected. A, on the ice and and this coaching staff too this coaching staff has been amazing for Rasmus Dahlin just from the stand I mean under Ralph Kruger he was I mean he was I mean he fell from one of the league's top young defensemen to he had the league's worst plus minus in 2021 he was a mess he lost all his aggressiveness he lost all his his confidence you just wonder what what the heck happened to him and when Don Granado came aboard he settled down he started getting out of it and by you know, the early portion of 21-22, uh, he started taking off. And that's just the coaching staff uh, knowing how to relate to him, knowing his strengths and weaknesses, you know, playing a way that, that plays to his strengths. Uh, he, he's, he's not living in fear of making a mistake and getting benched. There's so much that goes into him playing freely. And, and he's the kind of guy that can take over a game. And there aren't too many guys like that. And it's very unique. And uh, he's just—I mean—he's he, an X factor for them. I mean, if he has the type of year that he's pos- possible of having, I mean, he could really—I mean—the Sabers could really be a special team. When when the Sabers drafted Darlene, I was living in Wisconsin at the time, Monaco, Wisconsin. Look at it on the map; it's way up north, the North Woods. I'll take your word for it. Um, but um, Patrick Dwyer was living; was his his parents were living there, and. Um, that's where he lived every every summer. He came back. The, the Hurricanes guy. You're yes, about? yeah. At the, at the end of every season, um, his family moved back there. Like wherever he went, you know, he he had a a ten plus year career in the pros, whether it was 
with the Hurricanes or the Charlotte Checkers or in Europe, his family went. Wherever he went, at the start of the season, his family went. And when the season was over, they came back. And that's where they were in the summer. And I was, um, I was talking to him at the time, and I asked him about Darlene. And he, I said, is he going, I asked him, you know, is he going to be everything that they say he's going to be? And without hesitation, he said yes. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just going to be phenomenal. And to your point, those first couple of years, like, you could see his physical ability, but it's like you had to start to wonder after a couple of years, is it ever going to turn on for him? And then you look at him the last two years under Granado, and he's a completely different player. He's he's learning how to – he's not a physical guy – you know he's not gonna he's not gonna throw any big hits if he doesn't have to and things like that. But he can just he knows how to control the game just by moving the puck, just by his positioning. And I don't think you saw that the first couple of years he was in the league, and not just because he was learning to play. I, I just think he just I think they got really lucky that they got Granado in here, and he was able to kind of change the system up a little bit and let him play to his strengths. For sure. And the other side of that is, I mean, Rasmus Stalin's become a much better defender, uh, a much more tenacious defender. I mean, he's he's one heck of a competitor, and he hates losing, and he's hard on himself, and you, you could see it in his face. I think he's gotten better at handling that, putting that away. But, I mean, that's never going to leave him, really. I mean, on some level, he's always going to be that, uh, that, that competitor. So... I th- I think he's a good mix of a lot of different things, and I mean he wants it and he wants it badly. And he, if you go at him, he's gonna go right back at you. And yeah, he's not a guy that's gonna l- lay out a huge hit most more than likely or or fight very often. But uh, he'll he'll go after you. And he 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 can be a very aggressive presence, uh, you know, handling the puck, and he can be an aggressive presence just in other areas too. I mean, he doesn't have to, but he doesn't have to 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 really be all that aggressive either. I mean, he can. He's so good with his positioning and angles. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Ristolainen. You know, the last guy they had that was. You know, they were playing him thirty plus minutes at times. Um, when he came into the league, he was not very good with his positioning and never really got a whole lot better. No, he was. He, he ran around a lot. Not a lot of awareness in the defensive zone. For he he chased the line. He was like a he was like that that youth hockey player almost who was chasing the puck, whereas Darlene kind of lets you know based on his position lets things come to him. You, you're not going to have to worry about him running around a whole lot and and just getting getting lost out there. Um, and you know that can be a tendency for some of those offensive minded defensemen. Um, you know their their game is the offensive end and they don't you know they're they're biding time until they can get get the puck out. Um, but but Darlene has just gotten so much more patient in the defensive end, and I think I think that's as much of a of a factor in him him getting this money than than his offense. Well, he and he he takes pride in that. I mean, he doesn't he if you you know you talk to him, he does not want to be a one dimensional guy. He knows that uh, that's not what you know Norse guys usually are, and he wants to be more than that. So I think that's been a huge point of emphasis. I remember, I think it was he in the early part of 2021, 22, he had a he had a really bad game against I think it was Seattle, and he he got burned a couple times and this and that. But the next uh, the next morning, he was out there on the ice basically first and just working on some of the things we saw the night before that he got. Uh, 
you know, exploited on. But that, that's that's just kind of how he is. He, he's, I mean, it sounds cliche in sports terms, but he, he is a tireless worker. I still think the $88 million, you know, I think that can make you love a city pretty <laughs> pretty much a lot. Um, but He really know, does like it here, trust me. I think the $88 million has a lot <laughs> to do with it. Um, but eight-year deal, um, now they have a slew of those guys. Um, they signed Samuelson to a seven-year deal. They signed Cousins, I believe, to a seven-year deal. It was Tage a seven- or eight-year deal as well. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of guys to be tied up for that amount of time. Um, that, that, you know, you, you, you look at it and you think, okay, they got this core of guys and we're going to, you know, they're going to have them for a long period of time. Um, but if some of them get hurt, if it doesn't work out, whatever, then all of a sudden you have some albatrosses on your hands as well. It's true, but I don't think these guys are going to be albatrosses. I think they're... They're if they're young stars, potentially superstars. Maybe I mean you don't think of Matias Samuelson as a as a superstar, but I mean he he's a top shutdown guy. I mean if he was healthy last year, they probably would have made the playoffs. I mean they're a different team with him in the lineup versus uh, when he was hurt. I mean there was a stark stark difference. I mean Tage Thompson could score fifty goals this year. Rasmus Dahlin could be a Norris Trophy finalist. Uh, Dylan Cousins could have 30. He could be a 40-goal guy, Dylan Cousins. Yeah, he could have 35, 40 goals. He could have a point per game. So these are legit young stars. I mean, uh, top line, you know, or top six, whatever you want to call it, guys, uh, top pair defensemen. So I don't think that – I don't think those contracts are going to turn bad. Um, I, I think – a lot of them kind of already look valuable. Uh, a lot of value. I mean, with Tage Thompson, because if Tage Thompson waited to sign until last summer, I mean, he would have made a whole lot more money. So I think they're in good shape there. Uh, it, it, you're right; it does chew up a lot of the cap, and they're going to have some difficult decisions to make in the near future. I think uh, you know all these guys we've gotten used to over the last few years. I mean, at some point, one of them's going to have to go just because they can't afford them if things stay on their current path. Um, but one thing with Dowling's deal that Kevin Adams spoke about today is that him taking a long deal, I mean, it's such a, he compared it to a puzzle. It's, it's I mean, figuring out the salary cap and, and projecting into the future is, is so difficult. But with Dowling taking the, an eight-year deal, the max deal, I mean, you know that that's one thing they don't have to worry about. That that's locked in, and they can worry about the other pieces. They don't have to worry about his contract coming up in three or four years. He's locked in. That's way off in the future, so that helps them a lot. And the cap is going up. It should, yeah, maybe four and a half million, something like that. So, but now, how does this impact Owen Powers' deal? They're in, they're in conversations with him um, on an extension. You know, you look at. You look at um, what's happened with some of the... Didn't Darlene sign an extension after his, his entry-level deal as well? Obviously, it wasn't as long, wasn't as high. Is that this going to be the same for Power? Or is he going to get one of these longer deals as well? I'm not sure if they would go long-term or short-term with him. I think they'd prefer to go long-term, quite honestly. I mean, lock him up for as long as you can. Um, but I don't, I don't think Owen Power's deal will be as lucrative as, as Rasmus Dahlin's. I mean, he'll get to that point someday, probably, in my opinion. Soon. But, yeah. 
but um, it'll be a, it'll be a significant deal. And uh, whatever they sign him for, I mean, unless they unless they back up the truck for him like they did these guys, I don't, I agree. I don't think that would happen. I don't. But whatever they sign him for is probably going to be a bargain when they sign him. Yeah, I mean these guys. I mean these guys have the potential at least to be so good that when they get into these contracts that. Yeah, they will be underpaid just the way the the market's going and the way their their careers are progressing. And like I said, I mean Tage Thompson, I mean he he's at a point in his career now where he's one of the league's elite scorers. He, he capable of scoring fifty goals, having a hundred points in my opinion. And he's you can make the argument he's underpaid for what he does. And he just signed that contract whatever thirteen fourteen months ago. So. Yeah, Owen Power at some point, whether it's this week or next summer, will get a a new contract. And if he if he continues on his ascent, uh, that contract might look good. Uh, uh, excuse me, might be looked at as being having value uh, as he progresses. And another guy they're gonna have to they're gonna have to plan for in the future. It appears is Zach Benson. Um, who came out and and tore it up in the preseason and he did. and has made the the final roster at least what for the first nine nine games eight games yeah he'll 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 get a long look um, whether the, well I shouldn't say a long look he'll he'll get at least that I would think and they can I mean they can scratch him and and let him kind of soak things up and practice I mean so they can kind of milk that for a, for a little bit. Um, but uh, I think you'll see we'll see him in the lineup opening night. I mean, he's he's a guy that uh, I mean he took them totally by surprise. I mean, they knew he was talented. I think they knew he'd be in the NHL sooner than later. But uh, until you see him it, actually in the NHL competing against NHL players, NHL level talent, you could say in the preseason, you don't know. And he just. He basically passed every test, and it was it was interesting to just see it play out, where it went from he played a game and scored a goal to you know he's playing you know to another game and he's playing well, and it just kept building and building. And to me, the 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 unique thing, the thing that maybe clinched helped clinch his spot in the lineup was just he he did it in different ways. He he played yes he played with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner for a couple of games, and that certainly helped. And he played against the Capitals, whatever, B lineup, the, that first preseason game. But he, he played on different lines with Tyson Jost and Jordan Greenway. And he, he, he scored a goal against the Penguins, you know, A-plus lineup. with That was a beautiful goal. Yeah. Uh, and it was a beautiful pass by Jordan Greenway, too. So he, he did it in different ways against different level of opponents. And, you know, he, he caps it off by scoring a beautiful goal, as you say, against, you know, Sidney Crosby and... You know, the Penguins team that put out all their stars, so that's significant. And it was interesting just to hear uh, the evolution of this and how, you know, Kevin Adams was was. I think he he examined on video all of his puck touches this year, or excuse me, this preseason, and they they were uh, convinced that he just. You know the way he plays on both sides of the puck, the tenacity he has that he he's capable of of playing the NHL right now. And it, it, the other interesting thing is, you know, a year or two ago, the, the Sabers were building, they were developing, whatever you want to call it, and they weren't in a position to sort of win now. Uh, and so I don't think 
Zach Benson, even with the preseason he had, would have been here. They would have just sent him back to junior, and they would have gone on their way. But they're in a position now to win now. They're expected to make the playoffs. He makes potentially makes them better, so he's going to stay here. You have to wonder how in the world he fell to what the thirteenth pick. Yeah, that's we've been wondering that too. Because uh, I mean, to me at least, he has a top five pick <laughs> written all over him. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising like if he's you know doing what he's doing at you know twenty one, twenty two, but to come in right away. And make the impact that he did right away as the 13th pick. That doesn't happen very often. No. And you look at guys who make the NHL months after they're drafted, when they're 18 or whatever, and it's usually those top five, six guys. And it's not all of them. It's just usually a few guys or a couple of guys from that area. And sometimes there's another one. I think Ryan O'Reilly made the avalanche as a second rounder when he was 18. So there are some once in a while you get a guy. But, yeah, he... I mean, for the thirteenth pick to make it uh, in his first training camp is it's it's interesting because it just doesn't happen. Um, I th- I think that uh, his size was maybe uh, you know as as much as we see these guys who are whatever they're listed at five ten five nine whatever who are clearly smaller as much as we see them thriving a lot of these. These general managers, these scouting directors, they get hung up on size and and they they go after it. And if a guy's a little undersized, they're not interested in the guy, or at least early. And we saw that with Alex DeBrinket. Alex DeBrinket had a, a phenomenal junior career with the Erie Otters, and he fell till I think the second round when Chicago took him. And he's be, he's become a great NHL. I mean, forty goal scorer. And he's he's a guy too. You look at like well, how did he he fall out of the first round? I mean, he, no one could take him at the, you know, no one would take him at the twentieth pick or whatever. Same thing with Cole, Cole Caulfield in Montreal, uh, whatever four years ago. I saw Cole Caulfield play in high school. Did you in Monaco, Wisconsin? Well, actually, it wasn't in Monaco, but it was in Stevens Point. Was he? Did he have like five goals? He was a sophomore, and he played. He only played like five games for Stevens Point. And he was dominant in those games. Yeah, usually those those and guys aren't playing for their high school team. But no, uh, he didn't play very not much. Not the whole year, at least. No, he played for the. <laughs> he didn't. He he was off to the, the the U.S. development team pretty quick. But I mean, Cole Caulfield, whatever in 2019, I forgot what pick he was. Was he 15th, 16th, somewhere around there? But he's another guy. It's like, well, how did he last that long? He wasn't. No one. You know, he's not worthy of the eighth overall pick. I mean, he's another guy that. I mean, he, he definitely 40-goal special potential. Well, I, I think I if I'm if I'm a betting man, I think they're going to keep him. I think they're going to keep him all year. Um, just based on his junior situation, based on his his IQ on the ice, he just he knows where to be, he knows where to position himself. Even if it means you know, maybe he's a, a healthy scratch. You know, I, 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 you just have to feel that even if this year isn't the year that he's ready to be a full-time contributor, he, I mean, he will be next year. Um, and I, I just his junior, his junior season, his junior team being a mess, I just think he would benefit more, even from being a healthy scratch and traveling with the team 
and training with the team, lifting with the team, um, practicing with the team, I think that would be more beneficial to him than going to some some team in Canada that's just a tire fire. Well, I mean, that that probably does play a factor. I mean, Wenatchee fired its coach, uh, Kevin Constantine, after he was suspended by the Western Hockey League for until 2025. I mean, it, it's not a good situation. Uh, number one, I mean, just for the franchise to move from Winnipeg, uh, where, you know, they had James Patrick, a coach that, you know, everyone kind of knows here, played for the Sabres, was the Sabres assistant coach. They, uh, I think, you know, Kevin Adams coached with them. There's a certain level of comfort with him. Uh, I mean, he also coached Matt Savoy, too. Let's not forget about Matt Savoy. So there was a lot, you know, there was there was a trust there. There was, there was comfort there. And now, you know, they move out west, further out west, and there's a coach that I'm not sure they really know, and he gets fired. And now there's another coach that they probably don't know well. And they just, I mean, it's probably more beneficial for him to develop here. And you're right. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm not ready to say he's going to stay the whole year, but uh, that that could definitely keep factoring in the decision if it hasn't already. And they're also going to have three goalies at least to start the year. And you were you were adamant. You were <laughs> you were pounding your fist on the table, screaming from the rooftops that they would not keep three goalies. They shouldn't keep three goalies. And here it is. Why Why are they proving you wrong, Bill? Well, I did not think it was going to happen. I don't think, to be fair, I don't think anyone did. It's just, it's usually not a good situation. And what the Sabres have going for them is that they have the personalities for it to work, I think. And they also have three, I mean, they have a rookie in Devin Levi. Uh, Uka Pekka Lukanen's coming off his rookie year. He hasn't had a full NHL year. And they have Eric uh, Comrie, who, who's who has basically one full NHL year, two if you count last year, who's been on waivers four times. He's a little bit older. He's 28, but, I mean, he's he's still fighting for his chance. So they have guys who are hungry, who aren't going to complain probably, and who are going to f- just fight for playing time. So uh, it's unique in that they have the guys that they that can make it work. But, yeah, I no one thought it was going to happen. Teams just don't do it. But it's a position of strength. So right now the Sabres, they, you know, they don't need to carry uh, an extra forward or uh, an extra defense, or excuse me, more than one extra forward or extra defenseman. Uh, they got through the preseason clean. Uh, they're healthy. So they have that roster spot, and they're going to use it for that. And, I mean, you, you couldn't waive those guys because you're giving an asset away, and you can't do that. I mean, a trade, if you trade – UPL or Eric Comrie at some point. I mean, maybe that makes sense. Uh, there's teams that certainly need a goalie. Tampa needs a goalie. Uh, uh, Colorado needs a goalie. Other teams, too. Those are the two that stick out the most. I don't think they're going to trade a goalie to Tampa, but um, but they have an asset, and they're going to keep it. And, and why not, I guess, right? Did, did UPL play himself out of locking up the number two job? Or did Eric Comrie play himself into sticking around? That's a that's an interesting point you make there. Um, both, I guess. I mean, UPL probably had the inside edge, and he didn't have the best preseason. But again, it's like he plays he plays in the Hockeyville game with a you know 
a really B lineup and he faces a couple breakaways and he lets them in. It's like, I'm not ready to, you know, say he's having an awful preseason. You would like a save on one of them at least, but whatever. And then he plays last week in, uh, where do he play? Columbus. And they just didn't play well in front of him. I mean, he didn't play that. He didn't play poorly. He didn't play great, but they certainly didn't help him. So I don't know if we got the whole, I don't know if we saw really what you, Uka Pekalukunen can be from his, whatever, five periods of the preseason. Conversely, I mean, Eric Comrie uh, played very well. So he, he he gave them a difficult decision, and, and ultimately they decided to go with all three. Now, I'm curious to see where it goes from here because um, at some point they have to play all three of them. Do they just start the season? Do they, they go one, two, three? You know, Levi starts opening night, UPL goes – Saturday, and then uh, next week, Eric Comrie gets a nod. Or do they do they work Eric Comrie in? I mean, is Eric Comrie the third goalie? Maybe he starts the season as the backup. I, I'm not sure. But it's a unique situation, and it's a situation I think at some point they're going to have to kind of move on from because you can't in the NHL. You can't. I mean, they did it basically half of last year. They had three goalies. They had four goalies at one point. Uh, you you can't go you know a season and a half with uh, with that many. You know what it sets itself up for. What's that? They have they have a third a third goalie that eventually needs to be moved, or they have to send Benson back to juniors. And they they probably you know by the time they have to send Benson back, it's probably right around the time Patrick Kane is going to be healthy to make oh, his return to boy. the NHL. No, I don't start to, with that. much. Much to Bill's consternation. No, I don't. Th- I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, I just don't think you he- didn't think they were going to keep three goalies. Well, uh, come on now, they had three <laughs> goalies on the roster already, but uh, I don't think he. I don't think he fits what they're doing. He, he's old. I mean, sure, he's a Hall of Famer, and he might have some left, something left. Um, but he's coming off that injury. He's older. I mean, I just, I just don't think he fits what they do. I don't think he his style fits where they need him to play. I think I I, I think they need a, a bigger guy who's going to go in those dirty places, uh, who can play the second or third line and put the puck in the net at least twenty times. And obviously he can put the puck in the net, but he's 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 more of the playmaker instead of that guy who's gonna you know who who has to sacrifice himself for the play. Um, so I don't know if he's the, he fits the style of guy they need in a veteran at the moment. But well, that's true. But I also don't think he I don't think he fits what I mean. Yeah, he, he's a winner and this and that. But I mean, they have this group of young guys, and to I mean to bring in a a veteran mid season. Uh, I, I mean, maybe that that would be good. I mean, I don't think if if you're adding some sort of veteran at the trade deadline or something. Uh, that might work out, but bringing in a veteran of, of Kane's stature and the attention it would bring, I don't think that would, I don't think they would jive with what the Sabres are doing. I really don't. Speaking of attention, Jack Eichel interviewed on Monday Night Football halftime show, uh, you know, between the, the Packers and the Raiders. The, the the Knights are set to open up their season on ESPN. They're just getting their their championship rings, and they put they put. Eichel on the halftime show interview him, you know, at the desk, and it looked like he was asleep. I mean, it was it was brutal. 
Um, and you and you look at that if you're if you're in marketing for the NHL, if you're in uh, marketing for ESPN, you're livid. You you're just absolutely livid. There was no emotion, no excitement, no personality, nothing to say. Hey, come watch me play hockey. I'm one of the best young players in the world, and he just he just lays a dud. Um, and he, and you look at it. More people, legitimately, more people were going to watch that halftime show uh, than any game, any NHL game this year. Probably, yeah. And and he did nothing to say, hey, come watch this product. That's brutal. Um, and, and that's one of the problems the NHL has is it's marketing. They, they, they are among the big four sports, and baseball probably isn't, isn't far behind in this in this regard. They, they do not do much to attract young viewers. Uh, they do not do much to attract viewers outside of a certain demographic. Um, and it shows. It shows in their viewership. It shows in their ticket sales. It's And hockey's already a niche sport. Uh, it's a wealthy sport. Um, predominantly a cold a cold you know, city, cold state sport. Um, so there's already limitations. I mean, it's getting bigger in certain places, but still a niche sport. So when you get those opportunities, you gotta, you gotta hit those out of the park. And that was just, oof, it was bad. Well, I didn't see the, the uh, interview, but, uh, <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised. So I'll just leave it at that. But I but, mean, I mean, you, you look at, you look at some, like the NHL's just got to get better in that regard and just, it just, marketing itself and doing different things to make itself appealing for for new viewers because that's what's going to help the, the sport grow you can you can only be the fastest rising sport for so long no it's very true i mean this is a sport that you know it was at i don't know you could say an all-time high so to speak when the rangers won the stanley cup in 94 and sports illustrated called them hot or whatever and the nba wasn't and then they have a lockout and they don't play till january and then then scoring falls off a cliff and clutch and grab era takes over so i mean yeah i mean it's it's been it's been a it's been 30 years of or more of this where uh they've had some problems you know getting the game to people and people once people see the game they usually love it but i think it's getting the game to those people i mean they have so the, the league has some color for characters i mean oh yeah well i mean if you think it from a marketing standpoint they've kind of missed the boat on alex ovechkin um uh, he he's becoming obviously with the whole the whole russian war thing and obviously um it's a little complicated for a guy like him um but uh, his his you know, he's obviously older now and he's graying. But you know, man, when he was a younger a younger guy, there probably wasn't a better player to market than Alex Ovechkin. And I don't think they did a very good job even then. Well, he I mean he he's a, he well I mean they could still uh, he's still a superstar and he's gonna he might break Gretzky's record. Um, I'm not sure how much attention that'll get based on how things are in the world or it'll get i shouldn't say that i'm not sure it won't uh, get the same how, amount of attention as lebron breaking kareem's record oh true um i mean nothing i mean hockey's probably not going to ever outshine base basketball but i mean uh, just the way the world is right now i don't know how much attention will be cast on that as it maybe would more in more normal times 
But yeah, he 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 can be a colorful personality, and he's he's one of the all time greats. He really is, and uh, I'm not sure. Sometimes if you if you you know if you go leave the hockey bubble, if people really know who he is. Well, well, another guy, Connor McDavid. We're talking about a guy who, when it's all said and done, I mean, right now he's on a trajectory to be. And I hate the Mount Rushmore stuff. Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> but he's on his way to being one of those Mount Rushmore guys. Oh yeah. Um, how many people know who he is? And it's not just because he plays in Edmonton. I mean, we you look at that. Obviously, the NFL is a different animal. But you look at Josh Allen. He's the Madden cover guy, the NFL Sunday right. ticket guy in Buffalo, a place that people joke is is Siberia. Um, Patrick Mahomes is in Kansas City, and it's not like that's the biggest market in the world. Right. Um, I mean, you could uh, uh, the number one overall pick uh, just went to San Antonio and Victor Wembayana. Um and he's going to be a star. LeBron was in Cleveland. <laughs> Very true. I mean, you can work around a city. Like, obviously, Edmonton has the challenges because uh, of the time zone. But again, there are plenty of people who play in the on the western in the western time zone. Like, how many people outside of he he is the best hockey player hands down in the world, mm-hmm. and he's not a household name. Well, I think what's going to help with that is the NHL's new TV deals. Being on ESPN, being on TNT, getting out of NBC. I think I I think they're going to do a better job of of promoting these stars, marketing them, getting them to the masses. I mean, there was a time on NBC it seemed like they never had Canadian teams on just because it wouldn't get you know it's not going to register a rating on well, that market. They, so there were years they didn't have they didn't have all seven Stanley Cup final games on NBC. They had some of those games on NBC Sportsnet. Yeah, I mean, your to me your your finals should be on, shouldn't be on a, a cable channel that people don't know about or have a hard time finding. But yeah, but I think that's going to I I think that's changed. TNT and and ESPN I think have started to really reshape things. Um just if, from production standpoints, from uh, just the personalities they brought on their pregame shows, to, to a whole lot of different things, just to the names. I mean, ESPN carrying something gives it more luster. And I think, uh, you know, some people don't like that ESPN, uh, a lot of the games are on ESPN Plus, and that's a subscription. But just being on ESPN brings a little more prestige. And I, th- I, I think. Uh, those two TV deals have done a lot just in the last two years. I mean, NHL might be in its last bite of the apple here um, in terms of getting a big TV contract because you look at, at last year, the big the big hullabaloo was, I think it was that Oilers Game 7, um, was on ESPN with McDavid, best player in the world, and they waited to drop the puck until 10 o'clock because they had to have some random early season major league baseball game, Sunday night baseball game and another sport that's bleeding money and bleeding viewers. Well, I mean, I remember when I think there was a Sabres game in 07. It was a playoff game against the, uh, the senators where the game had, a, it went into overtime or something and it had to switch to NBC sports or, or, or something because, uh, the Kentucky Derby coverage had to start something like that. So I mean the the NHL's always played second fiddle to a lot of these other sports and 
it, it's probably going to remain that way f- until they kind of overtake them, I guess. All right, Bill. To, to wrap up here, um, Byro, um, Biro, whatever, what, Biro. whatever, whatever you want to call him, uh, Stillman, Bryson, any surprises from the final roster to you outside of the three goalies? Stillman was a bit of, of a surprise. Um, he, he He's a guy that Kevin Adams went out and get, got last year uh, at the deadline or around the deadline. Uh, they traded Josh Bloom, a legit prospect for him, a third rounder. Uh, and they he, he, he played the final couple months there, and he, you thought he at least had a spot as an extra. And... Yeah, he just Jacob Bryson had a better camp. They kept seven defensemen, so they put him through waivers. And I think he's a guy. I mean, he could be back soon. I mean, they have a defense injury that he might be the first guy up. But I was surprised by Riley Stillman getting sent down just because he had regular duty last year. He was Kevin Adams' guy. Uh, but I think Jacob Bryson he he had a terrible year last year, really. But his body of work is much better than what he was last year, and I think he learned a lot from last season, being whatever minus twenty four. And I think uh, he had a great camp, and he he earned his spot as the number seven D. And as far as Byro goes, and uh, uh, sorry, who else got sent? Cal Clay. I mean, Cal Clegg's a depth defender. I mean, he could be the first or second defenseman back up. Uh, he knew what he signed up for. Uh, He's a good guy to have. Spent a lot of last year in Buffalo. And Byro, he's knocking on the door. I mean, he's not a guy you think of as a huge prospect. He's a little older. But he's he's on his way to becoming a dominant AHL player. And he might be their 14th forward right now. So, uh, you know, the Sabres had all these guys, and we thought they might lose one or two. They all made it through. They have the team they envisioned in Rochester. It's a deep team with some established talent, some some strong prospects. So, I mean, they're an intriguing team to watch. All right, Nick, you feel good about this one? I do. I do. About as good as you feel about the McRib coming back next month. I haven't had a McRib in probably 13 years. so uh, I know you'll be first in line to get one, though. Save your McRib jokes. I will. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, all right, let's 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 wrap this one up. So, we have that email account, buffalopressbox at gmail.com. If you have a question you want us to talk about, a comment, if you want to complain about me or, I don't know, Nick's kind of perfect. You can't complain about him. That's but true. If, if you want to complain about me, uh, drop us a line, buffalopressbox at gmail.com. Uh, write us a review uh, online. Let us know what you think. Tell your friends. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.